If you're a child second grade and younger and your parents so desire, you can be dismissed now for kids' worship through this door with Mr. Fred. And uh, you'll come back during the last song and we'll be excited to see you when you do. I'd ask everybody else uh, to please turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices to Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, uh, there should be one close to you in the pew. The Scripture will also be on the screen. But listen, if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, we would invite you to please take that pew Bible and make it your own. Our gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word to read, to study, to refer to uh, in your own home. I was blessed uh, to grow up in the church. And some of y'all might uh, resonate with that. You might be thinking, amen, I was blessed as well to grow up in the church. But no, I I literally mean I I grew up in the church. Uh, My dad was a solo pastor. Uh, That meant that he did not have um, other staff members to to help him with the work of ministry. And uh, so guess who got to take part in it? We were in the church and around the church literally all the time. Uh, We were there every time the doors were open. We were there many times the doors weren't open. We were there for uh, Sunday school and Sunday morning worship and Bible study in the afternoon and then Sunday evening worship and then midweek services and special events and, and children's musicals. And we would put away tables and chairs and vacuum the floor after all of these things. I grew up in the church. And you know, I got some really good, extraordinary teaching in all those years that I spent in the church. And I will always be so thankful that I had parents who loved God and loved me and taught me about God and entrusted me to the care of people who loved God and loved me and taught me about God. But in all those years and all that good teaching, my experience, and I want, to, I want us to be conscious of this here at Back Creek, my experience was that all of that solid teaching, all of that truth was presented in a disconnected way. To be honest, it may not have been presented that way. It wouldn't be the first time in my life that someone was trying to tell me something and I just didn't get it. That happens pretty much daily, Right? But my experience was that we would study one part of the Bible at Sunday school and another part of the Bible at uh, Sunday morning worship and another part of the Bible at Bible study and another part of the Bible uh, on Sunday evening worship. And that was just on Sunday. And then we would read the Bible in family devotions from different portions. And then midweek services would be a different part of God's word. And then kids programs would be a different part of God's words and student ministry as well. And so it seemed to me that things were presented in a disconnected way. Now, there's nothing wrong with with feeding from all the different parts of God's Word. The the Scriptures themselves say that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. It is good for us. But my experience was that I didn't see what the one part of the Bible that we studied in Sunday school had to do with the other part of the Bible that we studied in worship or the other part of the Bible that we looked at in midweek. I didn't see what one part of the Bible had to do with the other parts of the Bible. It all seemed and it all felt true, but it also seemed and felt disconnected. Now, whether or not you grew up in church, uh, you're probably familiar with at least some Bible stories. You may have heard the story of Adam and Eve. 
You may have been familiar with the story of Noah and the flood and the ark. You may have heard of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream coat. You might have heard the story of David and Goliath. I knew all of the Bible stories. But what I didn't realize was that the Bible, the whole Bible, was telling one story. And it wasn't just any story. All those different stories from the lives of all those different ancient people with all those funny names were working together to tell the one story that makes sense of everything. And not just everything in the Bible, everything in the universe. I was learning the Bible stories and I was missing the one story the Bible was telling, which meant that I didn't connect those stories to my story. I believed all the stories were true, but I couldn't see why they mattered and how they were there to give me a framework to begin to understand the fundamental truths about existence and to form some answers to the questions that were rumbling around in my head and heart, which I now know as an adult are the same questions that are rumbling around in your head and heart and every other human being's. Why are we here? How did we get here? What are we supposed to do here? Why is it that it seems that the world that we have known, the only world that we have known, doesn't seem like it's the way it's supposed to be? And why do we have this longing, this picture for a world, a world that we've never experienced that is much, much better Every human being, even if they're afraid to voice these questions, even if they try to avoid thinking about them, has those same questions at some level that are working in their head and their heart. We all want to make sense of everything. We all want to find out where we fit into some coherent theory of the universe. And there are so many competing narratives that try to provide for us that coherent theory of existence. So many narratives that contradict each other. But the one story that does make sense of the world as it is, that makes sense of our lives as they are, that makes sense of our longings as they are, is the one story that all the stories of the Bible are working together to tell. And it's not just the story of the Bible. It's our story too. We have a role in this grand narrative, you and I. So today we're starting a new series, and we're calling it Origins. And we're going to go back to the very beginning of everything, and we're going to walk through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. It'll take us from now all the way up to Easter. We're going to start with Genesis chapter 1 and work through Genesis 11. Start at the foundation, at, in the book of beginnings. And we're going to try to see how all these stories, these familiar stories in the Bible, and our story fit into the grand narrative of the universe. So if you're able, I'd ask you to stand in honor of God's Word, and we're going to read uh, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter, and uh, I'm going to leave a part open for you, so be ready. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. 
And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord that created everything that is, the word of the Lord that he has inspired for our benefit, the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's ask the Lord's help to understand and apply his word this morning. Oh Lord God, you are the creator and the sustainer of everything. You deserve our reverence and our awe, our worship and our lives. So Lord, now as we come to your word Lord, we know that you created all things by the power of your word, and you have given to us your written word to recreate us. So by your spirit, Lord, take your word and do its work in our lives that we would be remade, restored, refashioned into the image of our good and gracious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We wait expectantly for you to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In the beginning, chaos reigned, personified by Apsu and Tiamat, the father and mother of the gods. Their children, the gods, rebelled against them and killed them, led by their son Marduk. And Marduk, the leader, took his mother's dead body and fashioned the top half of her body into the sky and fashioned the lower half of her body into the earth. And all the gods that had sided with his mom, Tiamat, Marduk made into slaves to serve him on the earth. But you know, there was work that even gods who lost didn't want to do. And so Marduk made human beings to do the work, the slave work, that the slave gods didn't want to do. That's one of the earliest Babylonian creation myths. In the beginning, there were greater gods who formed the earth from some existing raw materials, and lesser gods. The greater gods forced the lesser gods to work the land, but the lesser gods didn't like this, so they rebelled and they fought. So the greater gods, to keep the peace, made humans to take over the drudgery of labor on the earth. This is the earliest known Mesopotamian creation myth. In the beginning, there was an infinite lifeless, eternal sea from which the earth emerged when the sun rose for the first time. Eight primordial gods each had a role in different parts of creation, which was really taking and shaping what was already eternally in in existence. And the sun god, his name was Ra, his eye fell out and ran away. And two gods pursued Ra's eye, and they tried to bring it back, but the eye resisted, and in the struggle, the eye began to cry, and those tears became human beings. This is one of the earliest Egyptian creation myths. How about this one? In the beginning, there was nothing, except perhaps for an infinitesimally small bit of matter. Now, don't ask where it came from, and certainly don't ask what was outside of it. But it suddenly exploded into everything in the universe. And those raw materials on a particular rock in a particular galaxy 
somehow created the impossible conditions for life to exist. And then also, somehow, from non-life, created life itself. Life then mutated from a single cell into ultimately all the biodiversity that we see in the world today, including human life. All this happened by random chance. Humans are merely machines for propagating DNA. And propagating DNA is a self-sustaining process. It's the very reason for the existence of everything that has the breath of life. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. The universe we see ultimately has no design, no purpose, no good, no evil, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Not a single one of the cells that make up you knows or cares who you are. That's the 21st century American naturalist myth of creation. See, from the beginning, right up to this very moment, people have looked at the world and they've looked at their lives and they've been asking those big questions. How did we get here? Why are we here? What are we supposed to do? Why does it feel like the world that exists, the only world we've ever known, doesn't feel like it, it is as it should be? Why do we long for a world we've never known? Humans have been asking these questions and, and trying to construct a story, a narrative that somehow makes sense of it all, a story that can make sense of their existence and their story. Now here's the problem. In each of those mythologies that we just talked about, creation is the result of chance or randomness or ego or violence and humanity is not significant in any way that does not resonate with us every single one of us knows at some level that we were meant to be significant we long for significance we want significance because we were created by a significant god for a significant purpose. In these versions, these mythologies, we're merely here to perform the drudgery of work in the pantheon of selfish, angry, violent gods that they refuse to do, or we are the accidental garbage product of chance and a whole lot of time. These stories fail to make sense of anything, including our lives, and there's a simple reason for that. They're not true. If they were true, then a human being probably couldn't and wouldn't have written the following. I see trees of green. Red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white. The bright, blessed day. The dark, sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, are also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands, saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry, and I watch them grow. They'll learn more than I'll ever know. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. That's just a trite 
little song that rhymes, sort of. <laughs> Why does it have staying power? Why does that resonate with each of us in our souls? Why do we respond to that with either a knowing head nod or even tears welling up in our eyes? It's just a trite little song. And the the reason that we resonate with that song is because it's true. As bad as the world can be, we know somehow, some way, it's also full of wonder. It is wonderful. It's good. Or at least, it's meant to be. All those mythologies fail to give an account of the universe and our lives and our longings as they are. The Bible gives us another creation story. C.S. Lewis called the story of the Bible a true myth. See, what it does is it takes all those same questions that we are asking and it it does what the other myths are trying to do. It answers those questions with the tremendous difference that this story really happened. The story Genesis 1 tells is a true story that makes sense of the universe, it makes sense of our lives, and it makes sense of our longings. Genesis 1 tells the story of a good God. Genesis 1 tells the story of a good God. One of, the, one of my favorite preachers from the 20th century, his name is S.M. Lockridge. His name was Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. How could you not be a preacher with that name? And you may know him from uh, some of his greatest hits. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Or, that's my king. But here's the way he described Genesis chapter 1. God stepped out from behind the curtain of nowhere onto the platform of nothing and spoke a world into existence. Now the reason God came from nowhere was there wasn't anywhere for God to come from. And coming from nowhere, He stood on nothing. And the reason He had nothing to stand on was there was nowhere for Him to stand. And standing on nothing, He reached out to where there was nothing to catch, hung something on nothing and said, stay right there. Then standing on nothing, he took the hammer of his will, struck the anvil of his omnipotence, and sparks flew everywhere. He caught them with the tips of his fingers, flung them out into space, and bedecked the heaven with stars. And nobody said a word. And the reason nobody said anything, because there wasn't anyone there to say anything. So God himself said, that's good. In contrast, to the multiplicity of vain, selfish, violent gods of the ancient Near East and the happenstance, meaningless, cold, dark world of modernity, which both have this moment where they came into being and then only exist to to organize chaos, the good God of creation that the Bible teaches us about eternally pre-exists everything and speaks everything into being from nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word in Hebrew for created, bara, it's only ever used of God. It's never used of us because when human beings make something, when we are creative, 
we have to always use raw materials. Not so with God. This word bara means to bring into existence out of nothing. Why does God create? Well, the pagan gods, they created to show off or because they needed some slaves to do the grunt work. The universe has no reason at all to create. But the God who is created because He is good. God did not need to create at all. God eternally pre-existed everything and He needed nothing. God is totally self-sufficient. He did not create because He had a need to create. He created because He had a desire to create. And His motivation was love. In eternity past, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally pre-existed creation in absolutely perfect fellowship and goodness and love and faithfulness and glory. And out of a desire to share the overflow of the goodness of His triune self, our God said, let there be light. Don't we see His goodness in what He has made? All these things that we perceive as majestic and beautiful and complex, they all existed in the triune mind of God before anything came into existence from nothing. All things bright and beautiful. All creatures great and small. All things wise and wonderful. Our Lord God made them all. I'll tell you, I am regularly arrested by the beauty of of a sunrise or a sunset, by the grandeur of the mountains, by the vastness of the ocean, by the complexity of all the wonderful creatures that God has made on the earth, summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to God's great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Creation declares the goodness of her Creator. We know it and we feel it because it is true. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Genesis 1 tells us the story of a good God who made a good world. A good God who made a good world and God saw that it was good how many times did you guys have to say the word good as we read through Genesis chapter 1? Creation is good because the Creator is good. This is my Father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hands, the wonders wrought. This is my Father's world. The birds, their carols raised. The morning light, the lily white, declare their Maker's praise. This is my Father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I can hear Him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. When the good God of creation spoke everything into existence, He called it what? Good. 
And by calling it good, our good God affirmed that everything in creation met His intention. It met His purpose. It met His design. And it met His standards. Everything in creation at the moment of creation reflected God's glory and His goodness, His character and His creativity in contrast to the pagan, selfish, vain, violent gods and the cold, indifferent, blind universe. Creation is good because Creator is good. Genesis 1 tells us a story of a good God who creates a good world for His good people. Look with me once again at verses 26 and 27 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Human beings are the crowning jewel of God's good creation. We are completely unique among all the things that God made. Human beings, male and female, are made in the very image and likeness of our Creator. And being His image bearers, we are created to reflect in creation His nature and His character, His goodness and His glory. And that comes with inherent worth. It comes with inherent dignity. And it comes with inherent authority. You realize that God chooses to create humanity and to invite humanity alone to partner with Him in ruling over all that He has made. He says, let us make man in our image and let him have dominion. Let him rule with me as my image bearer in all this good creation that I have made. You and I and every person that we will ever meet bear the very image of the living and true God who is so wise and so creative and so brilliant and so beautiful and so powerful as to have thought up everything that is and bring it into being from nothing. You are the bearer of the image of God. Don't let anybody ever tell you different and certainly don't let anyone treat you as if that is not true. Genesis 1 tells a true story that makes sense of the world and of our lives and of our longings as they are, or at least as we feel they should be. It's a story of a good God who made a good world for His good people. It's our story. Now, a lot of people read Genesis chapter 1. And I mean religious people and secular people read Genesis 1 and they get really caught up in questions of how. How did God create the world? Was there a big bang? Did it go like this? God spoke and bang, it happened. Did God take seven 24-hour days or did He take a much longer period of time to create the universe? 
Is Genesis 1 trying to give us a chronology of how the world was created, or is it a more poetic description of God's action in creation? And I don't want to minimize the importance of those questions. Those how questions are, are very important. But they're also questions that Christians' brilliant minds have been studying and seeking to answer and disagreeing on in just about every age of the church. And I hope that we'll be able to deal with some of those how questions substantively at some point and in some environment. But right now, I'm content to say what Genesis 1 says and what our catechism says, that the work of creation is God making all things out of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. Now, I myself, as I look at all the different options for what we can believe about how God created the world, it's very hard for me to get away from what I see to be the, the plain sense and the clear meaning of the text. There was evening and there was morning, the first day and the second day, the third day. So 24-hour, uh, six days. But brothers and sisters, what you believe about how God created the world is not essential. That you believe in who created the world and why He created the world is much more essential. God being God is all-powerful at all times to do all that He pleases. So, had He desired, God could have made the entirety of the universe in one six-billionth of a second. Yes? Or he could have made the world in six literal 24-hour days. Or he could have chosen to take 60 billion years to create all that we see. How is important. But today I'm much more concerned with the question not of how, but of so what? So what? Why does this story matter to you right now? Well, if there's a God who made you, and He's good, and He made you to know Him, He made you for relationship with Him, and He made you in His image, the very purpose of your existence is to reflect His nature and His character, don't you want to know Him? If He holds the answers to the questions that you have been asking all of your life, don't you want to find out? Don't you want to learn from Him? I mean, it's as simple as this for me. If I watch a movie that is compelling, I immediately, on my phone, go to IMDB, the Internet Movie Database, because I want to find out who was the director of this film, who created this compelling thing, because I want to learn more, and I want to know more about it, and I want to experience more of the goodness that He has produced. Or she. And if creation is good, if, if not only God is good, but creation itself is good, doesn't it have implications for the way in which we enjoy the good things that God has made? Isn't it a sin not to enjoy the goodness of the creation that God has made? So I have an assignment for you today. I want you to go out into creation. And I want you to enjoy it. It may be as simple as sitting at a table and savoring a drink of water. It could be as simple as taking a bite of delicious food. That's my personal favorite. 
It may be as simple as getting out and taking a walk in your neighborhood or taking a hike. But get out into creation and enjoy the good things that God has made. And if creation is good, does it not have implications for how we treat and care for the good world that God has entrusted to our dominion? And if people are good, if people are made in the very image of God, does that not change everything about the way that we see them, the way that we talk about them, the way that we talk to them, and the way that we treat them, and the way that we enjoy them? You know, the reality is, is we were not created to be alone. So many of our interactions in this world are very transactional. We weren't created for transaction. We were created for relationship. And God even says in, in the chapter that we'll get to next week that it is not good for man to be alone. We were created to be in relationship with other people, affirming to them and having them affirm to us that we are not alone and that we are both made in the very image of our Creator who is good. We're supposed to be telling each other who we are. Enjoy someone today. That's your assignment. Remember that every single person that you encounter you may say, Pastor, you don't know my family. I don't have to. I don't have to. Every single person who has ever lived has the dignity and the glory and the worth of being made in the image of God. People are a gift. So delight in and enjoy someone today. I'm going to spoil the coming weeks just a little bit, and I have to, because if I didn't, this wouldn't be a Christian message. The reality is that this story does make sense of the world as it is, and our lives as they are, and our longings as, as they are, but not complete sense. It doesn't account for the bad things that we see in the world, does it? It doesn't account for the darkness that we see in our own lives. See, the truth is that God remains good. He was and is and ever will be good. But God's good people turned away from Him. We rebelled against Him and we took creation with us. And creation descended into darkness and death, into suffering and sorrow. And yet, all of us have this insatiable longing for light and for life and for joy. C.S. Lewis again, he says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, and we've all been there, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Brothers and sisters, we were made for another world. We were not made for a world filled with darkness and death, sickness and sorrow and suffering. We were made for a world in which the glory of a good God shined in His good creation in and through the good people that He made. Where the glory and the goodness of God was on full display for all to see. We forfeited that. The good news, the good news of this true story 
the good news that makes sense of everything, including not only the good things about creation, but the bad things as well, is that our God was not willing that we should receive the consequences of our rejection of Him and our rebellion against Him. Our God was not willing that His creation should always not fulfill its purpose of displaying His glory and His goodness. And so God came. He came to rescue His people. He came to restore His creation. And His name is Jesus Christ. There's another chapter in the Bible that begins in the beginning. It's the Apostle John's account of Jesus' life. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and nothing was made that has been made apart from Him. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Today, the good news for those who believe is that the eternal Word of God came into the good world that He created that had fallen into darkness and death to restore everything, starting with us. And He did that by living out the life that God intended for humanity. He lived a life of absolute goodness of glorifying and honoring and mirroring and reflecting the character and the nature of God so that so that he could credit his goodness to our account and in the fullness of time he went to the cross and on the cross he carried our darkness our rebellion our rejection of God, our sin and our shame, and He there suffered the wrath and the justice of God that we deserved so that we could be forgiven of our sins and reconciled to our good God. And on the third day, He rose again from the dead in victory over sin and Satan and death so that we can have hope that though we live in a world filled with darkness and death and suffering and shame and sorrow, that one day it will not be so. That one day, new creation will be even better than the good creation at the beginning. So the invitation is not from me. And it's not from Back Creek Church. It's from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. If you are looking away from yourself and to Him for salvation, you come to this table. Sinner though you are, wanderer though you are, this table is for you. Come and feast on His goodness. The body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now if today you're here and you're not sure that you believe all of this, that you hear it and it sounds good, but you're not sure if you've embraced this, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord out of 
utmost respect for you and love for you, we would ask that you allow these elements to pass you by. And we do that because the scriptures warn that those who partake of these elements, apart from believing on Jesus as Lord and Christ, or living in a way that is not consistent with that profession and knowing open rebellion against him, that we eat and drink condemnation on ourselves. That's not our desire for you. Our desire for you today will be that you consider this true story, that you believe that there is a God and he is good, and that creation is good. Don't you know it? And don't you know at the core of your being that you too were meant for good? And Jesus came, and he lived, and he died, and he rose again to restore you to that original purpose. So our encouragement to you would be to allow today to be the day that you believe on his name and receive the right to become a child of God. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time together around his table. Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you fed us in the beginning. You gave us every tree and every green thing for food. And now you feed us, Lord, not only physically, but you feed us spiritually. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, who is the bread of life that comes down from heaven and gives life to, pe to people. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time together around this table, that you would take these common elements that will remain common elements. They're bread and juice, and they're going to remain bread and the fruit of the vine. But Lord, would you commit them to a holy purpose? Would you allow us by faith to spiritually feed on the Lord Jesus Christ, his broken body and his shed blood for us? We ask these things humbly and expectantly in his name. Amen.